to bonus episode five of the Dive Down, a Magic Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern and pioneer. My name is Dave Harbarger. I'm here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Massachusetts, it's someone who describes himself as something of a death's shadow scientist, Michael Rapp. How's it going, everyone? Great. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, I just wanted to give a quick intro on maybe who you are. Maybe you can give us a little bit about your your bio, um, kind of which, who you are, what you're doing, that kind of stuff in Magic, and then we can hop into a little bit of discussion about Michael's favorite deck. Awesome. That sounds great. So Michael is a player for Team Solitary Pro and a writer at Card Kingdom, and the winner of Grand Prix Toronto 2019. But I figure most people probably know him for his focus not on modern, but on his signature deck, Death Shadow. You think that's a fair assessment? Uh, yeah, I think more people know me for Death Shadow than anything else. Um, but I certainly work a lot on modern as a whole. You kind of have to like know the ecosystem around Death Shadow in order to really get everything out of it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so before we dive in too much to the magic stuff, I just wanted to take a little bit of time to kind of um, – I haven't talked to Michael before, so I'd, I was curious about a couple of different things. So you know, I was wondering if you might just want to give us a little general intro on kind of how you got into magic, what – you know, if you have a day job you would want to talk about at all or anything like that so people can kind of see um, you know, what the life of someone who has won a Grand Prix and things like that just kind of is like. Oh, it's not not super glamorous. Um, when I I learned to play Magic as a young child, um, and then you know played pretty casually kitchen table stuff for a number of years, um, and then I started my first Grand Prix was in 2015, 2014, 2015, uh, whatever the what was it? The Eternal Witness playmat was Richmond. It was like the 4,000-person Modern Grand Prix. Oh, yeah. I think I remember that one happening, actually. Yeah. Uh, so that was my first Grand Prix. Um, as far as work, I'm a biomed tech, so uh, I work at a hospital. Medical equipment breaks. Um, they call me for basically everything that needs to be fixed. Awesome. I'm sure things break all the time in hospitals. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What deck did you play at that Grand Prix? Do you remember still? I played Storm. Storm. Awesome. Which was a fun deck, um, but I don't know that I'd want to play it again in a Grand Prix, just because of like the, alright, one red floating, one storm, two red floating, two storm, just like for nine rounds is a lot. Yeah, absolutely, and that was even uh, pre-Baral, right? 2015 would have been before we had both cost reducers, I think, <laughs> in the deck. Yeah, it was just Electromancer. Sweet. So I have a couple of questions that I thought would be kind of fun for us to go through just to introduce people to kind of the type of magic player that you are, some of your magic history, just really quickly. So um, I have a list of questions that I kind of am calling Inside the Grinders Studio, which is inspired by the great uh, question segment from the old TV show Inside the Actors Studio. Um, so I have seven questions. We'll go through really fast. You don't have to give like really long answers to these. But the first one is, what is your favorite card? Uh, Thoughtseize. Thoughtseize. Awesome. What's your least favorite card? Uh, Urza's Tower. <laughs> you <laughs> sound so much like me right now. It's amazing. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, what's your favorite format? Modern. Modernist. Uh, do you? F how did you come to focus on modern as a player and content creator? 
Um, Modern is kind of just where I got to play all of my favorite cards. Um, before I played Shadow, I played a lot of Jun, so I got to play, you know, Thoughtseize, Tarmogoyf, Dark Confidant, like, all in the same deck. Um, and that was pretty attractive to me, and as the format evolved, I kind of moved with it. Um, Jun became less good, Shadow became more good, so there are certainly parallels um, to be drawn between those decks, and I kind of just moved as time went on. So what what is your favorite moment when you're playing Magic? I think my favorite moment, not specific moment, but my favorite times when I'm playing Magic are probably when you finally figure out the path that you need to win the game, right? It might not be as clear early in the game, and it might be a multiple turn plan, but once you figure out, oh, this, you know, I need to sequence my next, you know, two or three turns this way, and that will be good enough. Um, I think that is probably what I enjoy about Magic the most. Yeah, I can totally understand that. That, to me, has always felt a little bit like you all of a sudden are seeing the Matrix. Sort yeah. of like, <laughs> like It's like bullet time where all of a sudden everything's in slow motion and you're moving in regular speed. And I definitely, you know, it doesn't happen to me much because I'm not the best player, but I definitely know what you mean where all of a sudden you're like, this plan is going to work and then you get to execute it. Uh, what do you think your least favorite moment when you're playing Magic is other than when uh, an Urza's player completes the third land, apparently? So it sounds like we're both, you know, pretty big fans of Thoughtseize, so knowing your opponent's hand and then they cast the spell that you can't beat the next turn. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the top deck is the worst. And then the last question I guess I would ask is, what is your favorite piece of magic slang? Do you have one? Uh, favorite piece of magic slang? It It's probably Deese. Deese? Yeah, I, I use Deese a lot, even in non-magic life. Do you feel like, are you, um, so I find myself sometimes like using magic slang around friends who don't know anything about magic. Do you get yeah. a lot of oh, like, yeah. like sideways looks when you say something is pretty dece? Uh, people are like, what do you mean? And I'm like, all right, so if something's dece, it's shorthand for decent, but that's not how it's used. It's like, if something's pretty dece, it's pretty good. Right. And you're like, and just that... finish the word. You know what word I'm trying to say. There's no other syllables that go with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even decent. Yeah. Um. But explaining that Deese doesn't mean decent, but instead means good, catches non-Magic players off guard sometimes. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, that is definitely one that is new, like sort of newer from when I started playing. Wait, do, so did you say you started playing Magic in 2015, or did you start doing like competitive? When did you start playing in general? I was like six. Um, so it would have been sometime in the Urza block. All right, so I'm going to ask you like a the, the big question not big question, but just kind of like I've always wanted to, to talk to somebody who won a Grand Prix before. Cool. So my question is, what is it like to actually win a Grand Prix? So throughout the course of that tournament, I spent so much of it trying to convince myself to be calm sure. um, that when I actually won, I kind of just like stood up and walked out of the feature match. <laughs> and, you know, all, all my friends were waiting on the other side of the rope and they were all static, so that was super cool to see them that happy. And it honestly didn't hit me until probably two days later. Mm -hmm. um, I'd woke up and I had my trophy like on my dresser, and uh, I saw it and I was like, "Wow, that did actually happen. That's super cool." 
I think every competitive Magic player at some point in their life, you know, has the goal to win a Grand Prix, win a Pro Tour, something like that. So um, there was a lot of relief that came with it and a lot of validation that came with it. But on the balance, it was like a very surreal experience. Yeah. And you've been to the Pro Tour a couple of times after that? Yeah, twice. That's awesome. And I saw you got pretty close to some PTQs this last weekend. Yeah. You were right in, while you are playing Pioneer. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of, couple of misses on breakers. Oh, that's too bad. Um, when did you start making Magic content? The Toronto was in February, so probably March. Oh, just last year? Yeah. That's awesome. So you've written for a couple of different sites. Um, do you stream, too, or are you more in the kind of written? I do. I don't stream as much as I write or even as much as I'd like to. Um, I streamed on Friday nights for a little while, um, but that's not great for uh, viewer numbers, uh, both because of it being Friday night and people are doing stuff. And Friday Night Magic is either like a travel day or an FNM day or, you know, something along those lines. So I'm kind of exploring different scheduling avenues. Um, I've been doing like Saturday late morning, early afternoon recently. That's been working okay. Um, what's your goal in Magic right now? Oh, God. Um, you know, there's a couple schools of thought to that, right? Where some people say that tying your goals to certain results or milestones is setting yourself up for failure. Some people say that it gives you something to work for. So in the abstract, my goal is to just always play the best that I can. I'm a, I'm a person who believes that if you play to the best of your ability and are always trying to get better, that the results will follow. So my goal, I guess, is to just always try to learn something from every match. You know, I think the next logical step would be something along the lines of a PT top eight, even though that is reasonably lofty. Yeah, but it's good to have big goals. Oh, of course. Yeah, so that totally makes sense to me. I mean, I think that it's great to be able to focus on process and results at the same time time you know when you're doing work it's kind of like okay today i got this much better towards my bigger goal of x so right now before we kind of go a little bit deeper because i want to switch over to talking about shadow a little bit more specifically from here i just wanted to um give you an opportunity to kind of mention all the places that people can find you um on the internet right now to be able to find your content and things like that sure the easiest one uh is twitter and that is at rapacious one uh, like the card from Rise of the Eldrazi. Good coincidence there, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> In my pinned tweet is links to everything else. Um, if you're looking for shadow content specifically, I have a Discord. Link is also in that pinned tweet. Other than that, my stream or my Twitch handle is the same as my Twitter handle. And then your articles are up on Card Kingdom? Yep. Articles are on Card Kingdom. How often do you publish? Uh, every Friday. Every Friday. Awesome. Um, can we, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the way that the discord and the sort of shadow cabal came together. Was it, cause I know that there's a couple of different players that kind of think of themselves as shadow specialists. Is the, is the discord kind of, uh, you know, two or three different players got together and decided to start this discord together or, or... so what happened was after Toronto, I wanted to connect with the other shadow players and i wanted to 
it's funny because after Toronto, I was like, all right, it's time to get serious. Okay. Um, so I wanted to talk to a lot of those guys. So I made a Facebook chat and it was like me, Ben Jones, Zach Canner, David Calf, uh, Dylan Hovey, Brandon Dalloway. And we kind of had a group chat for a while. People that weren't in the chat would reference the chat as the Shadow Cabal. Mm-hmm. So eventually, Ben and I decided that we were going to start a Discord. And I was like, well, what do we name it? And we found it only fitting to name it the thing that people were already talking about. I mean, that's good branding. Take yeah. Advantage. Take, <laughs> take advantage of what everybody's already doing. It's perfect. Yeah. So Ben and I kind of started that. Um, a lot of the other shadow guys are in the discord, uh, either, you know, talking or as mods or whatever. Right. So I don't know a lot about discord because I'm, I'm an old <laughs> and, and I use Slack kind of instead. I mean, that's what we use for the, for the podcast. Yep. What, like, is there really a, that many people in there talking about shadow all the time? Or is it just sort of like a community of like-minded magic players or kind of both? Uh, it's definitely kind of both. Um, it is shadow slanted, but I have, you know, channels set up for standard, modern, legacy, pioneer, uh, all that kind of stuff. But it is kind of the place to go to for up to date, the tech that everybody's doing and all the different builds and all that kind of stuff. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I'll post something, I'll, whether it be a card that I'm interested in or like an update to the deck list. And, you know, there's, I'm actually checking how many people are here. Yeah, so there's like almost 1,300 people in the Discord. Wow. That's awesome. And, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's always somebody talking about something. That's perfect. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the deck itself. So when you think about Shadow right now, I mean, what do you, what kind of, how do you feel about the space that it sort of occupies in your magic life? Uh, it's certainly the deck that I play the most, enjoy playing the most, uh, put the most time and work into. It is the deck that kind of got me where I am, right? Um, and, you know, obviously to, to get to that spot, you have to enjoy what you're doing and it has to be important to you. So it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of like a, a labor of love situation thing. So we talked a little bit about when did you pick up Shadow? Oh, it's probably been, it was on and off for the course of four or five years. Yeah. Do you go all the way back to when people were trying to put Delver in it and stuff like that? I remember when people were doing that. I picked it up just after, like at the very beginning of Grixis. Yeah. Um. So after like the Suicide Zoo stuff. Yep. Yeah. When it was less of a kind of an aggro deck, an all-in aggro deck with the Git Probe and all that kind of stuff, and more of a uh, tempo deck or kind of whatever kind of shell it fits in right now. Yeah, so thinking more about it, it's probably sometime in twenty early 2017, if I had to guess. Okay. So speaking of kind of the type of deck that Shadow, Grixis Shadow is anyway, or the, the kind of builds of Shadow that we see most normally... What kind of of the common magic archetypes do you think it fits into the best? It depends on what kind of shadow deck you're playing. Yeah. Uh, right, I think Jund is just an aggro deck. Um, I think that Grixis is a tempo deck. Four Color is probably a tempo deck. It's certainly a little muddier. 
Marty was just a mid-range deck. Can you maybe give me a little bit of your thoughts on the difference between an aggro deck and a tempo deck? Just in the in that context of discussion, sometimes it's hard for... I think people kind of use those terms interchangeably sometimes. And sure. different things, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think the difference is, right, take Zoo. Like, Zoo is an aggro deck. Right. And then if you branch out to, like, Legacy, like the Legacy Delver decks, those are tempo decks. Right. Um, so, like, one is just all about attacking, you know, killing your opponent as fast as possible. Uh, and a tempo deck is more about disrupting your opponent while applying pressure. And so if you think about where these kind of arrange themselves, so John, you said, was on that more aggro side by when it's John by itself. Yep. And then Mardu and Four Color, or sorry, not Mardu, Grixis and Four Color are in the kind of tempo area, mostly because of the presence of counter spells. Yeah, I think yeah. The, the blue cards really give it that Delvery feel. Right. Do you think it is kind of an analog to, to Delver in gameplay? I haven't played a lot of Legacy, so I, I, I'd be curious to know. Yeah, I, I off, when I was playing Grixis a lot, um, I would often call it uh, Grixis Delver in Modern. Yeah, that's cool. I used to joke around that Arclight Phoenix was the Delver that works. Like yeah. Turned, <laughs> I think it turned out that that was kind of a different thing all on its own once that deck actually got solved. And then Mardu, like you said, is much more mid-range because of its ability to grind, essentially, right? Yeah, you play more copies of cards like Colgan's Command, you'll play Path to Exile, uh, you have a higher land count. Unearth and Ranger Captain gives you a lot of longevity. Why do you think that Shadow is the card that can be a keystone of so many different archetype styles? It's hard to think of another creature that kind of travels around quite as much. I guess, I guess in a way, Tarmogoyf does if you look at this same kind of lineup there's similar kind of analogs there but yeah so i think the the thing that shadow does it allows you to close games right jund was powerful for a long time because it had the best cards in the format and now that new cards have been printed over time that's not as true anymore so they have to have a way to actually close the game uh and they don't which is why jund has kind of fallen off but shadow is that kind of like jundish deck that can finish the game uh and a lot of that is because death shadow is uh a fast enough clock while being efficient enough that you don't lose tempo in order to try to turn the corner right why do you think it took so long for the for the card to kind of be discovered in modern it's a complicated card. Um, for a card that only has, what, like two lines of text on it or something? And one CMC. One beautiful CMC. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's hard to find that shell, right? Because a lot of people are adverse to losing life in chunks. Um, and you kind of... It, it's a little strange, because for a long time, you've heard the adage that your life total is a resource. Right, um, absolutely. And people are like, I know what that means. That means I can take a hit here and there and not have to kill everything that enters the battlefield. Which is true. But people really weren't maximizing life being a resource. You know, you saw some of that in, like, old, old magic. There was a PT between Finkel and Bob Maher, I think? It was the Frexian Processor Mirror. And I think Frexian Processor was kind of the first your life total produces a threat kind of card. And then a card like that didn't see play for a while, um, so people kind of just brush Shadow off as, you know, 
some meme card that you had to like really really build around but once you have a fetchland shockland mana base and thoughtsies it's really not that hard to turn that card on street wraith is zero mana draw card in a lot of de- i think to be fair a lot of decks should be playing street wraith that aren't oh really interesting what other decks do you think could run a street wraith without i think most combo decks like you would you could say throwing it as a four of in storm basically i think storm specifically wants actual spells but you know decks like ad nauseum or something along those lines yeah where you're trying to filter more so than build a graveyard yeah yeah but i think there are a number of combo decks like it could be right for infect to play that card um it could be right for decks like devoted druid to play that card but i don't think a lot of people are willing to take the plunge on street wraith right Sure. I mean, it's interesting because it looks so different from like Git Probe, right? Which is, I mean, that was the thing I was going to say was that once people, and I, you know, I don't remember who started out with the the Shadow Zoo decks for sure. I, I just remember that Sam Black was kind of involved with some of the early builds with that, that once people unlocked that like Git Probe plus uh, Thought Seize plus Street Wraith kind of core plus Fetch Shocks to get your life total down really, really fast, and then I think, if I remember right, those Zoo decks were playing um, Become Immense and Teamer Battle Rage as well to really kind of go wild with the, oh, yeah. the really fast uh, kill you combo. It's It was interesting to see that happen, and then all of a sudden it twists into something that is much more kind of tempo-oriented, like you said, with the evolution of Grixis. Yeah, it was almost a combo deck. Um, I think early versions were also playing, like, Mutagenic Growth. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, Monastery Swift Spear, right? Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was a. I want to say that was like a Josh Hutter Layton creation. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't for sure where that started a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, at that point in time, like I think all those guys are working pretty closely together, so there could have been uh, a good amount of parallel development that went on there. Yeah, and do you think it's that kind of finishing power that Shadow brings to a game that lets it endure through so many different meta games? Yeah, because it is less about shoot like uh, when you're playing Jun, for example, or Blue White Control, or any other interactive deck, you have to get all of your card choices right. You can't afford to have like blanks in your deck, so you have to pick your removal spell perfect or removal spell sweet perfectly. You have to find the right number of discard spells, the right number of threats. Shadow, you kind of just get to play the best threats. Um, which leaves a lot more room for figuring out, uh, you know, how many discard spells you want, how many counter spells you want. And there's not a lot of decks that get to play discard spells and counter spells alongside each other profitably, because typically if you're doing that, you're not doing a lot else. Right. Right. And Saltai has been sort of a criminally like underutilized uh, shard, I guess, in modern, right? There's always people who want to try to play, those colors and they never seem to quite work out. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is they never had a good way to finish the game. Right. Do you think that shadow, what, what does a bad meta game for shadow look like? Or do you think that it just sort of morphs into one of the different uh, archetypes that have sort of been discovered so far? I think there is some movement, right? Like the, the Hogak meta game was pretty bad. Like Grixis was really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Mardu had a good Hogak matchup, which is the reason that deck was playable. When humans is super popular, things get, you know, rough for Shadow. But if you wanted to beat that, like... Uh, humans was really good against... 
Grixis because Bouncing Gourmet Angler with Reflector Mage was like effectively terminate. Yeah, exactly. Terminate on a body, right? Yeah, yeah it was Necrotal. As you move towards Tarmogoyf builds, that becomes less impactful. Yeah. Getting your Tarmogoyf bounce is still not where you want to be, but it is not nearly as bad as getting Gurmag Angler bounced. Yeah, at least you get to just cast it again in the turn turn later, where with uh, Gurmag you just sort of have to restart your, you know, you have to re-enable it via the graveyard, and who knows what how long that's going to take. Yeah, the graveyard decks are often reasonably problematic for Shadow, but even when they're popular, you see Shadow players playing, you know, a pile of surgical attractions or some ley lines. At the end of its life, Phoenix was kind of rough. Mm-hmm. because they had figured out... So at the beginning of Phoenix, that matchup, the Shadow players thought it was like very, very good. Uh, and as they started playing things like Pyromancer Ascension or Ario Flame, uh, that got a lot harder. Yeah, because all of a sudden they were getting so much value off of every card that you couldn't really keep... The big threat wasn't enough to keep up. Yep. Yeah, you couldn't really kill them before Pyromancer Ascension killed you. What else is bad? The... The creature combo decks that are very heavy on Veil can be tough. That's a new card. Yeah, yeah, Veil <laughs> is kind of a beating. Yeah. Um, but Devoted Druid used to be like a reasonably good matchup, and I think now with the advent of Veil, it's probably slightly in their favor. Uh, thankfully, they don't have Oko anymore. That was that was pretty awful. Do you what do you think? So you think the metagame right now is pretty favorable to certain builds of shadow is the impression that i get yeah so i think four colors pretty good right now just because you want to be playing cards like veil of summer and once upon a time yep um and with that you get tarmogoyf and you don't have to play thought scour yeah i mean tarmogoyf so i've been playing this is the deck i've been playing mostly so i've i should talk about myself really quickly here so i've been following you on twitter for like a year Right. And and pretty much ever since you you I, I saw you pop up from the Grand Prix and Shadow is a deck that I've been trying out a little bit. And I sort of just kind of whenever I want to try out Shadow, I really just go and like get your list okay. and try it out for a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm much more of a person who goes and plays in leagues than sure. anything else. So I don't I don't do a lot of paper competitive. I went to one Grand Prix yesterday last year and like played inside events. Okay. But I do like to just dust off Shadow once in a while, probably a couple times a year and play it for a bit, but I've been playing basically exclusively four color shadow since like the middle of November until now on magic online and just like loving the four, the four color list. Even when Oko was around, I thought it was still like, okay. Cause we got to run Oko, but ever since the Oko ban the last couple of weeks, it's been felt like a really awesome deck to me, mostly because like you said, you get to play veil of summer and once upon a time and traverse is sort of like your backup once upon a time. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that when the deck played Oko, I I actually hated that I had to play Oko. Yeah. Um, but the card was such a high power level that you couldn't not play Oko. You just could win by itself. I mean, it's I know it's not it wasn't a card that literally won by itself, but like it could buy you time, or you could turn get enough threats out there to be able to control the board and then kill them. Like I definitely had. During that era, I felt like I had as many games that I won off of Oko as I won off of kind of shadowing somebody to death, essentially. It was nice to have a backup, kind of. Oh, yeah. So Oko was good in shadow, but it wasn't a good shadow card. Yeah. Uh, it was just powerful enough that it didn't matter. Right. Um, That's the unfortunate thing about Oko, right? Yeah. 
I'm certainly happy that it's gone because we weren't a good Oko deck and there were a lot of good Oko decks, so we would have to sit across from a lot of Okos, which was, you know, reasonably problematic. Just to, like, zoom back out for a second, I think that Shadow has a little bit of a reputation of being, like, a really hard deck for someone to pick up and play. Do you think that's true? Or um, if and if you do think it's true, why do you think that 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 what do you think is the most difficult part of picking up Shadow? I think it is among the harder decks in the format. I don't think it is the hardest deck. Granted, a lot of the the very difficult decks have gotten easier over the last um, probably year. Mm-hmm. I used to think Amulet Titan was really hard, but now they don't have to play bad cards anymore. They get really good cards, so that deck got easier. Um, it's still fairly difficult. Uh, Lantern doesn't really exist anymore. That deck was really hard. So yeah, Shadow Shadow is among the harder decks. Um, what I see the most from newer players or less experienced Shadow players is just sequencing stuff. Um, a lot of people don't understand the Mishra's Bobble Street Fetchland interaction, uh, where you kind of get to build your own opt. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that for a second, because I think that's definitely something I would love to temperature check with you and see if I'm doing it right. And I think it's also, sure. you're totally right that people don't totally understand what that is for. For me, the question is always, if I have a bobble turn one, and I also have a Thoughtseize turn one, am I waiting till turn two to fire off my bobble so that I can use my fetch land to to preview the top of my deck and decide whether I want to want to shuffle away a card or not. You know what I mean? Like, so is it worth delaying until a, a second turn to be able to thought see somebody and just kind of have bobble on the, on the board? So there's a couple of different ways you can go about that. If I have bobble street, Ray thought sees fetch land and shock land, mm-hmm. I will bobble myself. Uh, see if I like the card, I'll play shock land thought sees. If I don't like the card, I will play fetch land, get a land Thoughtseize. Uh, if my lands are only fetches and I know that I'm casting Thoughtseize on one, I'll bobble my opponent. Okay. Uh, that way you get a little more information to inform your Thoughtseize. If I know that I am playing against a deck with discard spells, I will Thoughtseize them on one usually and wait to bobble until their end step. Uh, so that way you draw the card on your turn and, you know, they can't take it if they have a discard spell kind of thing. Yeah, that totally makes sense. It's a little bit like uh, Once Upon a Time against a um, a discard deck where you kind of hold it and then if they cast a discard spell, then you go for Once Upon a Time during their turn if so that you can get at least get a land out of Once Upon a Time. And if they don't do it, then you do it on your turn so you can decide with more information what. Yep. Yeah, what the card is. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that like took definitely took me a while to think about in in Shadow because it's kind of like Mishra's Bubble seems like such an innocuous card. I think the first time that you look at it, you're kind of like, oh, cool, yeah, I yeah. guess I just get to shuffle this. I get to like crack this and get a card. But I mean, it really feels like it's one of the pieces of glue that holds this deck together. Yeah, actually, there have been a lot of people talking about potentially banning Mistress Bobble lately, um, before the Mox Opal ban, and I'm not positive Shadow would survive a Mistress Bobble ban, uh, definitely not 4-color, because it's so important to getting early Delirium. 
and getting your your torm growth big which is essentially the delirium as well but yeah yeah grixis might survive a little more than four color but shadow decks would be they would take a hit if that card left yeah on the grixis side you'd probably see the reemergence of like opter thought scour or not thought scour opter uh serum visions potentially yeah. on the meta right yeah i think you would probably likely see serum visions most of the time uh but it does slow you down a lot right yeah. it it makes it harder to turn to gourmet gangler uh, when you have to actually pay mana to put a spell in your graveyard. But, yeah, I think the, the zero mana plays, I think, are where a lot of less experienced Shadow players make mistakes, whether it's Mistress Bobble or Street Wraith. I see a lot of people just cycle Street Wraith on their end step for, or on their opponent's end step for a reason that I don't understand, where if they just wait for their draw step, like, they could draw Mistress Bobble. And then still with Street Wraith in their hand to, you know, potentially draw a good card that they need that's on top of their deck. So let me let me ask you. So the distinction there is that you want to try to use Street Wraith when it's not blind. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like you want to you want to have try to have some idea of the card that's on top of your deck when you use Street Wraith. I think you just have to have all reason to use Street Wraith. Okay. Uh, whether it's pumping a shadow that's in play to shorten your opponent's claw, like. If you can take a turn off the clock by cycling a Street Wraith, go for it. If you need to lose two life to enable a Death Shadow, go for it. If you know the top card of your library, go for it. If you need to draw a specific card that you don't have, go for it. Yeah, but what you're saying is don't fire it off for value on turn two when you're just like, ah, I got a Street Wraith, I might as well just get rid of it as soon as possible. Yeah, even you know, on turn one, I'll have a Street Wraith, but I want to have a Bobble or something. And I'll cycle it if I don't have a one-mana play. Sure. Or if my hand has all of a certain kind of interaction and not any of the other kinds. Like, if I have all removal spells but don't have a Stubborn Denial. Sure. Uh, and I'm about to cast the Thoughtseize, I'll cycle to see if I draw Stubborn Denial, because that might drastically change how I Thoughtseize. Sure. Yeah, because you might decide not to take someone's removal spell, because now you have something to counter it with essentially yeah yeah this is awesome because i gotta tell you i definitely have not been using street wraith right from the way that you're talking about <laughs> it right now and i wager that a lot of people also also haven't been and get the reminder of don't use it just to use it because it's pretty powerful to be able to just draw a card whenever you want to yeah if you if you hold it you'll always have the option to use it unless you need to draw something very specific on your opponent's end step uh, there are very few good reasons to, to cycle it there as opposed to just waiting to see what card you draw for turn. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Well, why don't we why don't we take a little bit of time and kind of go through... So I have the most recent build that you posted up today. Do you want to just kind of go through kind of card type by card type and just give a little, talk a little bit about each one in little sections maybe? Because I think one thing that's really interesting about the Death Shadow deck and this one in particular is that... Um, you know, the, the four color traverse build was something that sort of existed maybe a year and a half ago too. And it's interesting to see that kind of like come back. We are going to talk about part of the reason that it's come back is because of once upon a time. So maybe, maybe the next kind of two cards to talk about as a set would be traverse the Lulenwald and once upon a time and kind of where, why they're good right now. Although it's pretty obvious why once upon a time is good. So, yeah, I think. Once upon a time, being good is pretty obvious. Um, yeah. When that card is free, it's broken in half. 
Yep. Do you think that's going to get banned someday? I think it is on the short list. Yeah. Um, right now, I think the cards that are on the short list are Once Upon a Time slash Veil of Summer. I don't know if they'll both go at the same time, but I can see one of them going for sure. Primeval Titan slash Field of the Dead. Yeah. Uh, I think Primeval Titan is a lot less likely than Field to catch a ban, but I think that something out of that deck uh, is likely to go at some point. Um, and I think it might be more down the line, but three mana Teferi. Wow, in modern even. Yeah, once they kind of remove something from the Titan deck, I think blue-white control is going to be pretty good. And it's not even just blue-white control that'll be good. We've seen decks like Infect pick up Teferi. Yeah. Uh, it is a very powerful asymmetrical hate piece that... I mean, Niv runs it even, right? Even in modern. Yeah, yeah. Um, asymmetrical hate pieces aren't typically super enjoyable. I guess it depends on who you ask, but cards like Blood Moon are the kinds of hate cards that I'm fine with because in order to play that card effectively, you have real deck-building constraints. Yeah. But Teferi says... I am the deck with interaction. The way you beat the deck with interaction is interacting with them back. And Teferi says that you can't. Right. Yeah, and it just shuts you down, and if you miss that one window, you're just done. Yeah. But Traverse Juvenwald is kind of something that you just get to be get to play when you're already green. Hysterically easy to enable in this deck, right? Because of because you have Bauble and Street Wraith already. And fetch lands, you're you're so far along that path to keep being to having delirium active. The way I ended up here was I wanted to try to fix the consistency issues that Grixis has. Yeah. The deck when Grixis works, the deck is incredibly, incredibly powerful. However, that deck struggles to find threats on a regular basis sometimes. Yeah. So I wanted to try to fix that. And Once Upon a Time was a really good way to do that. And once I was already playing Once Upon a Time, Traverse Juvenwald is also a good way to do that. Yep. I've had a lot of people ask me why I'm playing 3 and 3 instead of 4 of 1 and 2 of the other. And it's pretty simply that I think the first copy of each of them is very powerful. And the second copy of each of them has a good amount of diminishing returns. Especially Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have felt like when I played this deck that I don't I don't really have enough time to cast once upon a time hard cast it later in the game. So I'm much happier to draw traverse later in the game because you, you typically end up with so few lands in play that a lot of times what I want to do is traverse up shadow and play shadow in the same turn and and keep up stubborn denial. And so you can get in this kind of moment where you're like, well, I only really have three lands. So once upon a time, is just not going to get it done for me right now. Yeah, that that's certainly a spot. Because the difference between a three-mana play and a four-mana play in a deck with 18 lands is pretty big. Yeah, that makes a ton uh, of sense. Especially, uh, I guess I was going to say, especially in a deck with five-mana producing lands, but we actually have nine. Uh, which is more than a lot of shadow decks, because we have Nurturing Peatland instead of what would otherwise be more fetch lands. Right. Nurturing Peatland, which is just amazing with Shadow. That is actually one of the other draws to be green, is you get to play you know, four copies of Nurturing Peatland in your deck. Yep. Um, trust me, if they printed a blue-black version of that card, I think Grixis would be incredible. All over it, yeah. That'll happen someday, right? Modern Horizons 2? Yeah. At some point. When they want to really mess up the format again? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they learn some lessons. Yeah. Um... I guess some of the other things to talk about in this deck, four Mishra's Bobble is pretty standard. Uh, four Stubborn Denial, I think it is good against most of the decks that people are playing right now. There's not a lot of... That card 
Summer Denial is really only bad when, like, Humans is really popular. Yeah. I mean, it's good even against, you know, for, for Game 1, it's totally fine even against things like Burn and Prowess if you don't want to eat a Lightning Bolt, or you do want to eat a Lightning Bolt, or later in the game you don't. Um, so I think it has lots of application, and just the fact that it's a one-mana spell, of course, is incredible. I mean, one-mana negate is pretty hard to beat. Yeah, I, even against Burn and Prowess, I think it's one of the best cards in your deck, even in sideboard games. Oh, yeah. Do you, see, I always wondered if I'm supposed to kind of ease up on those a little bit for... I mean, I guess with with that deck, I'm looking... Now, I might be sideboarding totally wrong, because I'm not great at memorizing sideboards, but you know, when I bring in my Collective Brutalities, I tend to go a little bit down on Thoughtseize, just as a replacement, because they're going to burn me out on their side, but... In those mono-red, burn-esque matchups, the first thing I do is get Shroot Wraith out of my deck. Okay. Um, and then I look to Cutting Thoughtseize. Makes sense. Uh, so against Prowess, you want to be able to take their one drop, because that deck doesn't really work if they don't have a creature in play. Otherwise, their deck is full of, like, Manamorphoses and Lava Darts and stuff. Against Burn, a lot of the time they board in cards like Path to Exile or Deflecting Palm, and having a, enough discard spells to clear those out of the way is important. Yep. But you certainly don't want all of your Thoughtseizes in either of those matchups. Yeah. So at any rate, you have the four Summer Denial, which is kind of like the marquee of most of most of the Shadow decks that have blue. Sometimes they go down to three, but usually it's four, which just for your kind yeah. of like creature protection for, you know, when you get Shadow out and you want to keep someone from killing it. Yep. Yeah, it protects you. It protects your creatures. Uh, it is incredibly tempo positive. Being a one-mana negate, it's going to trade up on mana with basically every spell, or at least be even. Uh, four Fatal Push is for, you know, Prowess, Infect, Druid, you know, there's humans here and there, the Shadow Mirror. It's very good in the four-color Shadow Mirror. Yep. Yeah, it's been interesting to see that you have a Lightning Bolt in the sideboard as well, which I think is has a similar kind of purpose to Fatal Push in some ways, right? Like, where you want to kill low CMC creatures, basically. Yeah, so I both wanted a 7th removal spell that is 1 mana. Uh, I'm just counting Dismember as 1 mana. But I also wanted a way to kill Mirren Crusader out of Humans and Druid. And I wanted a way to beat Veil of Summer out of Infect and Druid. Uh, I actually had a Ren and Six in my deck until recently... Um, that's the version that I was the version I most recently took through a league had run and six on the side was run and six, which was pretty sweet in some of those matchups too. Yeah. I took it out for a Coligan's command, not because I think run and six is bad. It's because I think that, uh, infect and Druid aren't as highly represented as I thought they were going to be after the Oko ban. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. So yeah, the removal suites got four fatal pushes and abrupt decay into dismembers main deck. And you've switched recently to having the, the two dismembers instead of one. Is that just to help with Urza, or just or where where are you kind of coming from with that? It's good against Urza. It's good against uh, Eldrazi Tron, which is starting to pop up again. But the Primeval Titan decks are playing four Azusa, four Dryad of the Elysian Grove. Yeah, it's so brutal. Uh, so it's kind of hard to lean on Fatal Push. For a long time, the the second dismember was a drown in the lock and i think on turn two against a lot of those titan decks it doesn't reliably kill their three mana creatures yeah uh which is why i moved to dismember because it both does that and it speeds up our clock by being a pump spell for shadow 
Do you feel like you kind of hover around seven main deck removal spells yeah, it's like when you're playing six this? or seven? Six or seven, yeah. So we got the four. We have basically have the eight zero mana plays. We have six searchers essentially or cantrips. We have the four protection, seven removal spells. We have our eight creatures in Death Shadow and Tarmogoyf. And then what that leaves is the Hand Disruption Suite, which is four Thoughtseize, three Inquisition Kozilek, and the two Teamer Battle Rage. So you said earlier that Thoughtseize was your favorite card. Yep. Is that how you want to start as many games as possible when you're playing Shadow is turn one Thoughtseize or turn one Inquisition? So Magic is a lot of information game. It's an information game. Um, It is a lot of figuring out what your opponent could have, figuring out what your opponent is representing, and if you have a discard spell, you just know those answers. So if I can start every every game with a discard spell, I'm in. Yeah, totally makes sense. I, can I tell you one of the things I find the most satisfying about playing on Moto is when you see hit the little reveal tab and you see the cards that you saw with Thoughtseize and you get to tick them off oh, as yeah, someone yep. plays them where you're just like, oh, yeah, that's good. Okay, I remember all these. I mean, it definitely is the type of thing where, you know, when I – three or four years ago like when when Thoughtseize was in standard I would be a little bit lazy about remembering my opponent's hands and I wouldn't write it down all the time and then playing more and more in moto I was like no no anytime I play Thoughtseize I'm going to write down the hand oh yeah I cannot afford to to lose (laughs) yeah I cannot afford to maybe forget anything forget it so there's just not enough room for an eighth kind of discard spell right that's just kind of not worth drawing multiple inquisitions basically so you could play an eighth discard spell there are certainly people that play this deck with the fourth inquisition um but i think it comes at the cost of either a stubborn denial or so i think the the three cards up in the air are stubborn denial fatal push and abrupt decay if you wanted to make room for the fourth inquisition and i just want all access to all of those cards more so let's talk about teamer battle rage for a second one thing that's interesting to me about this card is i you know i recently ran the build that you were talking about a minute ago the one with ren and six in it through like three leagues and i never cast a team of battle rage in like three in like 15 matches do you feel like that i like the burst potential is there so you can kind of aggro somebody out you can also get you know surprise somebody late game with it it feels like it's sort of a card the deck gets to play but isn't necessarily as intrinsic to the plan as maybe i felt like it used to be when it was pure jund so I think Teamer Battle Rage is secretly one of the best cards in any Shadow deck. Every time somebody asks me what I think about their Abzan Shadow deck or their Esper Shadow deck, my response is, I'm not willing to cut Teamer Battle Rage. It is the best counterspell because it kills your opponent. Uh, it is the best way to beat a lot of blockers. It is the best way to beat big creatures. You know, it's kind of this weird try card between berserk doomblade and counterspell right one of the things about tempo decks is you trade cards for resources or cards for time right and sometimes you run out of cards but team or battle rage effectively shortens the length of the average game that you play with this deck which is important because now we're not straining our discard spells as much we're not straining our stubborn denials as much we're not straining our removal spells as much because we don't have to play an extra turn of magic in a lot of those games. Right. That's interesting. It's funny. For me, a lot of times it felt like the threat of it being in the deck was almost as important as actually closing out games with it, just because there's no. it's it's hard to be able to force yourself to draw it. It's almost like your opponent knowing that it's in your deck and that they have to remember that it's there is sort of as powerful as occasionally busting out a game where you go through, uh, where you go through one of those situations. 
you know, I get so much free value out of Team or Battle Rage existing. Draw your card, play your land attack without doing a lot of thinking. People are more likely to think that you have it. Um, and the number of creatures that my opponents just throw away because they think they have to try to beat Team or Battle Rage uh, is a lot higher than I thought it would ever be. And on the other side of things, a lot of people won't block uh, right. because they think that you have it and they don't want to lose their guys or whatever. Uh, and you just get free damage in and then you might draw out like the next turn or something like that. And, you know, because you got that extra damage and you get to just kill them. Yeah, or you just really conspicuously fetch up your blood crypt and just yeah. kind of like stare at <laughs> stare at them. They're like, "What do you need that for? Don't worry about it. It's fine." Yeah, the threat of it being there is it's like a counter spell, right? Um, where if your opponent thinks you have it, you're always going to have it. Um, right. And sometimes not having it is better than having it because your opponent playing around it kind of adds it to your hand almost. Right. Yeah, that's perfect. So how many flex spots do you think really exist in, in this particular deck when you when you look at it? It sounds like it's like three or four. Yeah, it's not many. Um, Street Wraith is core, Battle Rage is core, Eight Creatures are core, Bobble is core. Uh, so I think that leaves you with like... You can play... Some people play 17 lands, so I guess the 18th land is a flex slot. Other than that, yeah, there's probably like three... I'm sure you must spend just a huge amount of time thinking about each week, kind of like what update you would make to those three slots. I mean, between that and the sideboard, of course, because that, that's one thing I've noticed too, is that the sideboard tends to change a lot week over week when you guys are brewing and thinking about how to adjust. Yeah. I, I spend a lot more time thinking about my sideboard than I do the three main deck cards. I've been playing the 18th land for quite a bit. Uh, I've been playing the fourth stub for quite a bit. So it's like, Kind of the, do I want the second December versus the Drown in the Lock? You know, should Abrupt Decay be Assassin's Trophy kind of, you know, thought lines. But most of most of my thinking goes into the sideboard these days. So let's talk about the sideboard really quick. What, what do you feel like is the biggest threat to Shadow in the metagame right now? And how are you kind of addressing it uh, this week anyway? So... The biggest threat is probably, I think right now our ma our worst matchups, probably the Stoneblade deck. Is that back? I have I have not played against one in a long time, actually. Yeah, people are playing Bant Stoneblade again, which I thought was going to die off after Oko. Yeah. But I recently, sometime in the last week, compiled all of the like reasonably finishing decks from Moto over the last week, so it was like decks at 4-1 or better a prelim or like 5-2 or better the challenge or whatever sure. and titan decks made up a huge majority yeah. um if you combine titan field amulet titan and titan shift uh they had 11 copies uh yeah. the next best deck was at six yeah i noticed that in that showcase so they had a there was a modern showcase challenge as well as the pioneer one last yep. week and we talked about it on the on the, the earlier the episode of the show that just came out today and um, Riot of the Elysian Grove was the second most played creature in. Yeah, which is wild. Channel. Yeah, it was it was heartbreaking to me in some ways because I was just like, uh, <clears throat> I don't you know I don't play Titan decks. 
I, re- I, I really think they're annoying. I don't know if I think that they're like bannable, but it's just like not my thing. And to see it get such a huge shot in the arm across multiple versions of the archetype, I was like, well, that's a bummer. I guess. Yeah. Welcome to 2020 where our Valakut decks don't play mountains. Yeah, exactly. That's so <laughs> crazy. Right? Like we just have the only mountain we have is the Molten Pinnacle. That's all we need. Yeah. yeah that's it. So what are you bringing in against uh, the Stoneblade decks? So I want Lightning Bolt. I want Drown the Lock. I want Veil of Summer. I want Assassin's Trophy and I want Colgan's Command. Mm-hmm. Um, Veil of Summer is a weird one. Uh, people might look at it and go, but their removal spells are path to exile. And I think the important thing is uh, some of them have started to play Archmage's Charm, which is kind of terrifying. Yeah. Um, but if you ever get your guy bounced by a Jace, it's also really bad. If you get your guy bounced by a Teferi, it's really bad. Yeah. Sorry, big Teferi. You can't respond to a small Teferi as much as I would like. We'd keep trying. Um, but one one thing that you can do is with small Teferi on the stack, you can Veil, uh, draw a card, and make it so they can't bounce your guy that turn, and then hopefully kill the Teferi on your turn. And that's just kind of enough value. I mean, that's the thing about Veil of Summer, right, is that it doesn't have to stop a card, like, count. it doesn't have to counter a spell, essentially, for it to be good enough to play. I mean, that sequence that you just said is totally enough value for your Veil of Summer, you get to replace it, and you still get to swing it with your creature. Seems totally worth it in the exchange in the long run. Yeah, I think the the scary part about that deck is uh, they have access to Teferi, they have access to Veil of Summer, they have access to Path to Exile, they have access to Snapcaster Mage. It's all the cards I used to play before I started playing uh, Veil of Summer, or before I started playing Death Shadow. <laughs> yeah, uh, I played a lot of uh, Jeskai Control and yeah. Jeskai Delver way, way back at the beginning of Modern. Um, that was the same deck that I was trying out at the beginning of Modern, too. So, Geist the Saint Traft. Yep. No. Geist the Saint Traft, Restoration Angel, Delver. Yep. Yeah, that. <laughs> those were that was certainly a different modern. Yeah, I was gonna say those cards like don't even sniff it. The format in some ways these days. Got to be able to beat the 2019 cards, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, as far as Titan goes, so you bring in Disdainful Stroke and Ashiok. Is there any, anything else that comes in? I guess maybe Drown on the Lock, just to be able, because it can get big enough to take care of a Titan, but not it's not as reliable as some of the other stuff you have? It depends on the build of Titan. I like Drown on the Lock against Titan Shift, but not against Amulet or Field. Mm-hmm. Um, just because Titan Shift has like a lot of two-mana plays between Sakura Tribe Builder and Farseek and Explore and cards like that, that they'll have enough cards in their graveyard uh, and the important thing is that Scape Shift is a card that you play on like turn five that costs four, right? Um, so you can usually counter it. But the big the big hitter on the sideboard against Titan is Aether Gust. That's new because I feel like last week you didn't have an Aether Gust in the board. I didn't, and that was actually um, the first place I saw that was Jonathan Hobbs talking about it. It beats Cavern of Souls and it beats Veil Summer. Because you can target it after it resolves, or... So, Veil of Summer says that your spells can't be countered. Oh, wow. Not that your spells gain hexproof. Right. Um, So, while it's on the stack, you can be like, okay, put it on the top or the bottom. It's not countered, um, but it's effectively countered. Oh, my God. I did not... It totally didn't occur to me when you were saying that, that it, it does not say... It just says, put it on top or bottom of their library. It just says, choose spell, put it on top or bottom of the library. It doesn't say counter. Yeah. Like remand, you know? Yep. Um, 
So it's kind of like a two-mana counterspell. A lot of the times those games come down to like a, a crucial turn or two where you'll have a threatened play and you're like close to getting there and then they resolve a titan, they get Field of the Dead, and then suddenly you can't get through the zombies. Sure. Um, so Aethergust is a way to try to combat that. Um, it's been pretty good. It comes in a couple other matchups. Like I bring it in against like the Burn decks because I just don't want another Thoughtseize in my deck. Right. It just... It's just good enough, and it just sends a card away. And it, I've always found that the hardest part about being on the wrong end of an Aether Gust is like, am I really going to put this card on top of my deck again? Because yeah, sometimes it's just actual counterspell. Yeah, I feel like frequently even it is because sometimes the cards you counter are so just kind of not that important. But I guess if you do it to a Titan, they'll probably put it back on top. Yeah, but... that that one's staying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if you hit like a Boros Charm with it, like, are they going to put that card back on top of their deck? Yeah, really like... depends on what's in their hand. Yeah, um, and even still, I, I think the burn matchup often comes down to like having one extra turn on either side of the table. Yeah, yeah, the burn is like the classic, the classic matchup, right? I know you wrote a whole article on Card Kingdom, even about the burn versus shadow matchup and kind of how to think about it. So yeah, I it's funny because um, one of the players at my LGS that I respect uh, plays a lot of burn and. You know, whenever we play, it's, oh, someone has lethal on the table and then dies. So it's kind of like a, man, if either side of the table had one more turn, this matchup is, like, very different. Uh, and I think Aether Gust is another one of those cards that kind of gives you one more turn. Yeah. I think anything that interacts on the stack, basically at all, uh, with Burn is pretty good. Uh, that card's actually sneaky good against Prowess. Uh, oh, really? Because if they, like, go all in the, you know... The Manamorphose, Manamorphose, Lava Dart, Sack a Mountain, yeah. Lava Dart, try to attack you for like six, you can just bounce your creature. Yeah, that's amazing. Because the yeah, because the second half of the card that totally makes sense. And then it's like, do they really want to draw Soul Scar Mage next turn? Oh, the worst. I played a lot of <laughs> I played a lot of uh prowess when before Faithless with Looting was banned. I thought that was my other kind of main deck last year, and um yeah, that would be brutal if people were all of a sudden able like if Brazen Borrow had been around when prowess was around that would have been pretty brutal for the prowess decks too yeah i i i don't even want to get brazen borrowed i've had that happen it is not good <laughs> so what makes you think that right now that this is the best version of shadow to be playing is it mostly once upon a time in veil uh i think so yeah i'm not sure what i would do if either of those cards got banned because i think the the whole ecosystem would look relatively different for sure yeah um one of the other things that I was trying to fix along with the consistency issues in Shadow is if you ever draw two Gurmag Anglers, the second one isn't really castable a lot of the time. Uh, and the same is not true with Tarmogoyf. You can basically always find time to cast the second one. Um, the downside is that it always costs two instead of costing one a good right. portion of the time. So it makes cards like Stubborn Denial a little worse because you can't... Like, the the sequence of like Thoughtseize, Gurmag Angler, Hold Up, Stub was like relatively common in Grixis. Uh, but now that's a four-mana play. Right. Instead of a three-mana play. So, Tarmogoyf versus Gurmag Angler certainly has its checks and balances. I would like to play Gurmag Angler if I could find a way to not have to play Thought Scour, because Thought Scour, when it's not turning on Gurmag Angler, isn't a very good magic card. Yeah, I mean, it's it really depends on... I mean, I, I love Thought Scour, but I also played a lot of Phoenix. 
Yeah, like I said, and it's it's a totally different thing in that deck, right? You're turning on so many extra pieces with that card. Yeah, when you're enabling something with Thought Scour, the card is very good. Yeah. Uh, however, if you don't have Gurmag Angler in your hand and you just have a Thought Scour, you look at it and go, wow, this card is really not that good. Yeah. What am I doing with this? I guess that I'm going to Mishra Bobbles my Mishra's Bobble myself and then get rid of the top card if I don't want it. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a play I've made before. Yeah. Can also do uh, it on the other side of the table, which is cool. Yeah, when you somebody somebody looks, or you can have a look, or somebody puts something on top through some kind of tutor effect, definitely. Yeah, you mistress bobble your opponent. Go, I can't beat that one. Thoughts cover you. Bye. <laughs> uh, I I will say that this is probably the most fun I've had playing Tarmogoyf ever. I wasn't. <laughs> I mean, really, for some reason, it just feels like you get these massive ones out so much faster than Jund. And then you have Stubborn Denial to be able to protect it. And so it's just kind of this... I, I've won way more games with Tarmogoyf playing this four-color shadow deck than I have in the past, I think, ever, probably. Yeah, it is a better creature in this deck than it is in Jund, for sure. Yeah. It just happens to be the best thing that Jund has access to, I think. Totally. Uh, in regards to actually killing your opponent, which they don't always seem to be interested in doing right <laughs> they just want to want to kill your creatures and kind of hang out for a little bit yeah they're like how many two for ones can i get in one game it's kind of a high score kind of situation right i guess one one last question i had about this build or, or something that i was curious about was with the traverse package in here why why is there no like adventure creature like a a single murderous rider or a gore clan rampager anymore is there just not space to be able to because there's often times where i've been like oh i drew another traverse i'd really love to draw something that gave my death shadow trample kind of situation but maybe that's just too complex for where we are right now so i think gore clan rampager if you're playing like a more traditional four color build um gore clan rampager is a more attractive card but this deck is almost like Sultai splashing red. Mm -hmm. uh, so Gorkline Rampager actually puts a good amount of strain on your mana base. Yeah, you only have one source. Yeah. Um, also, having double green in the same turn isn't always the easiest. Oh, yeah. So if you want to traverse Fort and play it in the same turn, that can be tough. As for Murderous Rider, I think it's a card that's close. Um, I wrote a, an article on Jun Shadow, and it was right after Throne came out. And Adventure Creatures were cards I was looking at. Uh, Murder Swider and Bone Crusher Giant in specific. Yeah, um, they're so good. You just want to put them in every deck. The adventures, you know. Yeah, the it is. We have not had the opportunity to tutor for a spell before uh, with Traverse Evenwald. John Shadow for a while used to play like a like a one of Shriek Maw. Mm -hmm. So I wanted Murderous Rider to kind of be that, but it. I think it's just a little too slow. It costs another uh, mana, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like that three mana versus four mana play thing that we were talking about uh, with Tarmogoy versus Angler. It, it just ends up being a little too expensive on the balance. Um, but I think there are certainly metagames where it could be good as like uh, a sideboard card. If there's yeah. a lot of Planeswalkers in the format or a lot of large creatures in the format, like if Eldrazi Tron is pretty popular, that card gets a little better. Same thing with uh, Bone Crusher Giant. You know, if the demand for shock goes up, you know, a lot, being able to tutor your shock is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And and even being able, I guess, occasionally to just play it and then play it as an extra threat is probably reasonably good, at least. Yeah, the, 
the body on Bonecrusher Giant isn't bad. Yeah. It turns yeah. on stub, it turns on TBR. Like, if you're playing it in a grindy matchup, your opponent, you know, takes damage if they ever want to kill it. Yeah. I've been playing that a bit because I've been playing that big red deck, the chunky red deck in uh, Pioneer. Yeah. In there. I saw sure. you've been playing Niv in Pioneer. You Do you like that deck in Pioneer? Oh, that deck is just a pile of cards that I love. Yeah. You know, I, I looked at it and I was like, oh, this deck actually looks like it could be good. And it's just a pile of old mid-range haymakers that, you know, from standard paths that I just already have. Perfect. Sleeve it up. Get my Sylvan Caryatids out again. Yeah. But that's part of the charm of that deck, right? Is you can play whatever crazy old standard mythic that you have laying around, and it's probably good. Yep. I'm so shocked at that. From where that deck is was started to where it is now in both Modern and Pioneer, it's been really fascinating to watch, but... Yeah, especially in Pioneer, I think a lot of... There are a few groups of very talented players that I think have put a good amount of work into that deck. And I don't think it's anywhere near done yet. Yeah, just so many options. Yeah, there's... Uh, I actually just uh, released an article today on Card Kingdom that is entirely about building Niv-Mizzet. Um, and the kind of philosophies that go behind choosing your cards and, you know, how many mana sources that you want and, like, how to manage your flex spots. I think there's a, a ton of work left to be done in that deck, even after so much of it has already been done. Yeah, I haven't tried that out yet. I definitely... It's on my list of things to try. I actually... So we do this format on uh, the show called Sleeve, Believe, Heave, where, like, after a new set comes out, we look at the 5-0 deck dumps and look for, yep. like new decks basically and after war of the spark i played the first version the first like cave dan like dan from faithless brewing yeah. 5-0 list and totally was like i don't get what this deck is trying to do like it'd be <laughs> terrible when i took it through the leagues and i was like i don't get what this is trying to do this seems like kind of a meme deck i don't know and then you know three or four months later you know arkham's astrolabe comes out and a bunch of other things happen and then all of a sudden that deck's huge and in modern and then it starts making it waves in pioneer. It's really, really cool to see. So I definitely want to go back and try it again. Um, so just to kind of wrap things up, I had one more question I wanted to ask you about the sure. mana uh, in four color shadow. So one thing I, I wonder about a little bit is just how do we beat blood moon with, with this mana base? Do we just, is it just a bit of a, like uh concede to it? Are we trying to make sure we hold up denial against decks that play blood moon i've always wondered kind of why there wasn't a basic forest i guess so basic forest just costs too much to have in the deck i think um you could play it over the ninth fetch land which would be the blood Mire if you really wanted to mm -hmm. um but i think having basic forest in your deck is quite prohibitive because a it doesn't deal us damage b it doesn't cast that many of our spells um it's kind of like basic island and grixis right you, they play it because they have to, but you don't want to. Right. And I don't think that the mana is good enough in a four-color deck like this to support Basic Forest. Yep. Uh, where the mana in Grixis is actually pretty good. Um, so do you feel like you're just trying to hold up Abrupt Decay, basically, so that you can tap it for mana when someone tries to resolve it? Or That's one way you can go about it. You can hold up Stubborn Denial. You know, we have seven discard spells. You just kind of grab it, yeah. Uh, but the real secret is, if you just have a threat in play, most Blood Moon decks aren't very good at killing Death Shadow and Tarmogoyf. Great point. 
So if you just go turn two Tarmogoyf and their play is turn three Blood Moon, you're like, all right, I could just kill them. Right, you're like, I'm going to hit you for five. Yeah. And then, and then now my team are Battle Rages on because I only have Mountains. Yeah, I mean, even if you just have to go hit you for five, hit you for five, hit you for five, um, that just happens a lot because these red decks aren't very good at killing a four five or a five six. Totally makes sense. All right, I'm going to stop worrying about Blood Moon when I play this deck. And just, just not, uh, just totally try to snag it with Thoughtseize and otherwise just play my game. Yeah, I mean, if you have the opportunity to, like, hold up a fetch lane going into their Blood Moon turn so that you can get Swamp, go for it. Yeah. Um, but the easiest way to beat it is either, you know, Thoughtseize it or stub it or just have a creature in play. Cool. All right, well, I think our time is kind of getting close to being done here. I don't want to take too much more of, of your time either. Do you have any parting thoughts on shadow right now where it might go next i think the format is likely to stay in a similar place to where it is now where like titan is the deck to beat there are a couple decks trying to beat titan my predictions going into this format after the oko ban was that titan was going to be the deck to beat and the decks that were going to pop up to beat that were creature based combo decks like druid and infect along with fast spell based combos so like storm Ad nauseum, I thought was going to be pretty reasonable, and so far we haven't seen a lot of that. What we have seen is like Eldrazi Tron, Jund, and Blue White, which right. are all decks that kind of just can't beat Field of Ruin. Yeah, or not Field of Ruin, uh, Field of the Field, Field of the, of the Dead. Dead. Yep. Yeah, so Titan's just going to sit on top of the metagame for a while. Yeah, I think Shadow decks typically have a positive matchup against the Titan decks. Uh, so we're in a good spot by virtue of that. If these various creature and spell-based combo decks pop up, Shadow is traditionally very good against those decks, so that outcome is very good for uh, Shadow players. If people continue to lean into Jund and Blue-White, it's a little a little sketchier. Um, there are certainly things that you could do to combat that. Like I think Jund isn't as bad of a matchup as it was um, since the printing of Veil vale of Summer. Mm-hmm. If Jund is ever really popular, you can, you know, cut a lightning bolt or whatever and play third Veil of Summer, and suddenly that matchup gets a lot better. Right. Uh, Blue-White's still a little trickier, but I'm not super worried about that deck being super, super popular. And so for this time period that we're kind of in right now, until potentially we see... I don't think we're going to see a ban of Once Upon a Time or Veil or really anything too soon in Modern, just because I think attention's kind of off the format for a little bit as far as premier play goes yeah i would uh, guess that the first time we see something banned is probably the end of the summer yeah me too so if you wanted to try to get into shadow i think this is a good time to do it if you especially if you're someone you know one of our patrons a guy that i, I talk to a lot in our group joe c is his name he's just switching from john to shadow so it's really interesting to hear you say that you went through a similar path back when uh, kind of Jund was on the downtick and you popped over here instead. I think it's a good time to try that if you want to. If you have Jund cards, it's not too much of a stretch to get Death Shadow cards, so that's kind of a positive thing too. Um, so, um, Michael, I just wanted to thank you a lot for, again, for uh, kind of hopping on the show with us tonight. And um, I wanted to give you another chance to mention, so you can find Michael on Twitter, uh, yeah, at Rapacious1, um, R-A-P-P-A-C-I-O-U-S. 
Oni. I think I spelled that right quickly off the top of my head. But yeah, thank thank you so much for having me. Um, this was a really cool experience. Hey, I wanted to ask you, so you mentioned coaching too in your bio. I don't know if you want to tell people for a minute about, you know, if they want to reach out to you for a coaching session, what that's kind of like. Yeah, so typically I ask people that are interested to DM me on Twitter or message me on Facebook, something along those lines. I My preferred style is leading up to our session, I would ask you to play a league or two with whatever deck that you want to focus on. Uh, and then we can sit through your replays and mm -hmm. analyze those. Um, the benefit to doing this over playing live leagues is the clock is not a concern. Sure. Um, so we can really sit down and get into the nitty gritty of play lines without have to, having to worry about timing out. However, if people do want to play live leagues instead, I certainly am fine with that. But we kind of lose a little bit of that depth um, yeah. if that kind of situation does arise. You'd stop and kind of zoom in. Yeah. And I think those zoom in moments are where you get the most uh, kind of learning experiences. Look, the reason I wanted to bring up coaching is because, you know, you and I spoke for a long time just now just about how to play Mishra's Bauble the right way, right? And so yeah, exactly. I think anybody listening to this can tell that Michael has a great, great mind for detail. And so if you want to have somebody to kind of help check out your play and be able to talk to you about the second and third level reasons to do, to execute plays the way that you are, reach out to Michael on Twitter get a get a, a coaching session uh i think it sounds like a fun thing to do for sure so um thanks again for joining us uh that wraps up this bonus episode if you haven't yet make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out and if you use apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review if you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain about something in modern or pioneer tweet us at the dive down or email the dive down at gmail.com if you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon. Uh, these bonus episodes are brought to you by our patrons by reaching one of our stretch goals. And so they are brought to you know everybody through the um, excellent support by the people in our Patreon group. So I really appreciate that. Joining at any tier gets you access to our super secret Slack channel where we love interacting with our fans. It's patreon.com slash the dive down. Finally, a uh, quick shout out to Manitraders.com for supporting the Dive Down. If you sign up for Manitraders.com using promo code the Dive Down, all one word, you'll get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. And as always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Space Blood for letting us use their music. And again, to Michael Rapp for joining us tonight. Yeah, certainly. Thank you again. Um, it's been a ton of fun. I, I always love the opportunity to kind of be on these kinds of things and talk to a different group of people, a different group of fans, um, you know, interact with other awesome content creators. That's kind of the beautiful thing about magic, right? Not yeah. only can you play the game however you want, but you can kind of create content however you want, whether it be streaming, writing, podcasting, cosplaying, alters, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's been the best, one of the best things for being, you know, since we started this podcast about a year ago is just to talk to other people who are, are as excited as we are. And, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of when we got on the phone that, you know, I have like a, I don't get to get out to FNM all that much or paper events. And so in a way, making content and talking to people in the community and talking to my co-hosts is kind of the way that I get to participate in magic right now for, for my life. And so it's great to be able to have this to, um, to be able to still be a part of the community. So I'm always grateful for other content creators and for the people who are willing to listen to us 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly I'm sure this echoes in your experiences too, but the, the support of the fans are, you know, I mean, it means the world to me that people are willing to come out and, uh, interact on a regular basis. And, you know, whenever someone tells you how much they appreciate your work, it, it is the best parts of magic. Yeah. Well, definitely. I brought you on and wanted to do this interview with you because I'm a huge fan of your work and I appreciate all the work that you do on a deck that I really enjoy playing, even though I've learned tonight, I'm pretty bad at it. (laughs) So the um, secret is you're always better than you think. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I will say I've had pretty good results in leagues the last couple of weeks though. So I've definitely was excited about that. Um, I have, had some dry spells for a while where I was like not doing well with shadow. And then lately it's been very, very good. Once upon a time is really truly a messed up magic card. Oh, it's obscene. <laughs> what, uh, do you have any events coming up that you're going to? I think the next paper event that I'm going to is star city regionals, uh, which is in March, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have like a localish team trios tournament that I'm playing in the middle of February. Um, which is cool. Uh, for those in the area, it is ELD games or ELD time vault games in Bellingham, Massachusetts. Sweet. Um, but check it out. Yeah. The last time I was there, it was pretty fun. Um, so if you have the opportunity, swing by, check it out. Um, if you're in Southern New Hampshire, um, my LGS, super cool. Uh, next gen games and comics. Um, the guys that own it are honestly some of the best people in the community. So try to give them a, a fair shake. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much again. And I uh, hope to, uh, to talk to you again sometime soon. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, you know, I'd love to be back if you guys have a spot, but until then, um, this was a ton of fun and I really appreciate the opportunity. Great. All right. Have a good week, everybody.